Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Spencer Martin stretches it up the right wing for Besser and for Horvat alone, he scores! Bo Horvat on the great transition keyed by the Canuck netminder Spencer Martin and it's 5-2 Vancouver. When you win goals games by one goal, you learn how to win a lot. So it's uh, it's important. Uh, those are those are good wins. Thoughts on your team start here so far in the first 15 plus minutes. We suck. Good morning Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, tell the fine listeners more about Kintech and everything that they have to offer, including over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. I think I think you just did it. Then. No, there's other things. What do they offer? Uh, Footwear and orthotics. There you go. Are they Canada's least favorite orthotics <laughs> provider, or are they Canada's favorite orthotics <laughs> provider? You know, I think <laughs> I think, think that'd be, quite, might the, be. <laughs> quite the sales job if yeah. that was the case. Who wrote which the which one favorite? are they? Which one are they? <laughs> Who wrote this? this how you guys want to advertise? In fact, <laughs> they are Canada's. Favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Again, not Canada's least favorite orthotics provider. Guys, if you want to grow your business, we think you should actually get rid of the least favorite part and just really push the fact that you're the favorite. Or don't just say, don't even bring in yeah. least favorite into the conversation. People don't need to know that. Uh, okay, let's focus here, boys. It's 6.02. We made it through two minutes of the show before going semi-off the rails. Okay, what's happening on today's program? 6.30, David Amber, a weekly guest on our program from uh, Sportsnet NHL host. Uh, we'll look at everything that happened last night in a busy night in the NHL. Preview tonight, not a super busy night, although the Ottawa Senators and the Edmonton Oilers, so two Canadian teams, are in action. Uh, 7 o'clock, Chris Faber, Canucks Army, is going to join us after the Canucks got a win. In Buffalo last night, and the Sabres had another loss. That's six in a row for them. We'll talk to Fabes about all things Canucks at 7, 7.30. Nick Shook, uh, one of our NFL insiders from NFL.com. Uh, we'll look back at everything that happened in Week 10, preview Week 11. It gets underway with Thursday night football tomorrow night. I mentioned it's a light night in the NHL. There's 10 NBA games. There's a bunch of international soccer friendlies today featuring it's kind of like a team that's going to the World Cup and then a team that's not. They're all playing each other right when now. When does Canada play Japan? Friday, okay. Friday, and then we are just days away from Friday the at the Tacoma Dome. Did Canada used to are be they that at the team? Tacoma? They're, they're not at the they're Tacoma Dome. Canada's team that the other teams used to play to warm up for the World Cup. Yes. And now it's Canada doing the other yes. way around. Brazil, famously ahead of the '94 World Cup, which they won. They went to Edmonton to play Canada in a friendly. Canada tied Brazil that day. This is a real old man story here. When I remember, anyway, in Edmonton at right. Commonwealth, Eddie Berdusco scored. <laughs> they all had onions tied to their belts. They did. Which was the style at the time. There you go. Okay, so 7.30, Nick Shook. 7 o'clock, Chris Faber. 6.30, 
Dave and Amber. Uh, there is a bunch of sprots to talk about today, but we got to start by going back and telling you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? All he does is score hockey goals. Bo Horvat, one goal, two assists for the Canucks as they beat the Buffalo Sabres, a 5-4 at KeyBank to wrap up their road trip. Uh, the Sabres' sixth straight loss, by the way. Pedersen had a goal and an assist as well. Spencer Martin, all he does is get you points in hockey games. Uh, 28 saves for the Canucks, who are now a robust 5-9-3 on the year. They end their own three-game losing streak, and now they head back home. As far as we know, Bruce Boudreaux is still the head coach of this team. So it's funny, you started off with Vancouver uh, dealing Buffalo a sixth straight loss. It was the second time on this road trip that the Canucks had beaten a team that had lost five in a row. Of course, they beat Ottawa. Sends losing a sixth straight time uh, to start the trip. So the bookends of the trip went well. The beginnings mm-hmm. and the ends went well. It was the uh, middle three games that were the problem. That's the analysis, folks. Now, of course, there are some people that said, frankly, the whole trip didn't look all that great because the Canucks didn't play well in the first two periods against Ottawa, and they just barely held on last night against Buffalo. Right. And again, these are teams that are – scuffling in a pretty major way. I mean, five losses in a row is significant sure. in the NHL, and Ottawa had done that before they played the Canucks, and Buffalo did that before they played the Canucks. Um, it's Look, here's the first three texts that we got into the show. These all came in before 6 a.m. Rob, the, the, the not-so-super texts in, does it matter – that the win last night did nothing for me. I watched it, and the win did nothing to make me feel happy in any way. Not going to lie, it felt weird, not caring. When will a Canucks win mean anything to me again? Man, this sucks. Dan in Fort St. John. Guys, I think this team has broken and broken me. Late in the game last night, I, find part of my, I found part of myself hoping Buffalo would tie it up. Really interested to see if this team takes some kind of action or if they stick their head in the sand. One more from Chayton and Surrey, and it's an early what we learned. Morning, guys. I don't care how many games this Canucks team wins this year. Major changes to this roster need to happen, and it's the only thing I'm looking for. A coaching change will do nothing unless a new coach is named interim. Uh, So the win last night... The Canucks got goals from Horvat, Miller, Petey, Bear, and Dakota Joshua. Um, there were positives from this game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they won, so that's a positive in theory. Yep. The fourth line played well. I thought Lockwood stepping in for Studnika, he played really well, got his first NHL point. Bruce Boudreau had that fourth line out with a few minutes left. They're trying to protect a one-goal lead, which used to be a three-goal lead, but yeah. alas, I digress. Uh, that line actually played with structure. And there was a time when I'm, I'm watching this, and it's crazy that I actually noticed this. I was like, wow, they're all in position, and Buffalo's having trouble. <laughs> bringing, I was like, Buffalo's having trouble bringing the puck up the ice. There's a few minutes left. I don't know if anyone else noticed this. The fourth line's out there, and I'm like, why doesn't everyone play like the fourth line mm-hmm. when they're trying to protect a two, three-goal lead, one-goal lead, whatever? The PK 
was a perfect three for three. Amazing what happens when you kill all the penalties that you take. It's basically a miracle at this point for this team. And as you mentioned, Spencer Martin got the starting goal over Thatcher Demko and improved his record to 4-1-1. The Canucks, <laughs> you know, I don't know if he played all that well last night. All he does is win hockey yeah, games. Or Canucks, as a matter of fact, not lose hockey games in regulation. The Canucks have given him plenty of run support in most or all of his outings. As they have with Thatcher Demko. Uh, not as, not, <laughs> not as, as much. Not but... as much as Spencer Martin. Uh, Spencer Martin was in there for that. 8-5 win over that was a good one. Anaheim. He was in there against Ottawa when they scored a bunch of goals, I, th- I think. Um, the bad news, if there was one player, I think, last night that I was like, yikes, what is going on with this guy? It's not OEL. It's Brock Besser. Besser was dropped to a line with uh, Dries and Hoaglander, and those three really struggled together. Besser ended up playing just over 13 minutes, mm-hmm. still without a goal. <laughs> Minus nine in just 11 games. And in case you're like, who uses plus minus anymore? His underlying numbers back up that plus minus. And, you know, as we kind of hinted at, they flirted with blowing another multi-goal lead. And for some reason, they were running and gunning with the Sabres in the third at times. Even it was, again, like Shorty's like, I don't know if this is what the Canucks want to be doing, you know. Shorty's not a guy. He just calls the game, right? Like, he he doesn't editorialize much. But there have been a a few times this year when he's questioned how the Canucks have played with a lead. And, you know, they, they good for them, I suppose. They hung on, but... You know, Bruce Boudreaux, I heard that clip in the intro. He's like, well, when you win goals by one goal or one win games by one goal, you learn a lot of things. And I'm like, yeah, but you had a three goal lead. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> you, you know, well, he had guys that weren't going last night. Right. I mean, I think that's the really interesting. If there's one interesting takeaway and I get what you're saying, I, th- I don't think the takeaway from last night should be, yes, the Canucks won or oh, I'm not going to get emotionally involved even though they won. I do think that there were a bunch of different things last night that were really interesting that might either pave the way for the future or give you a better idea of exactly what this team is about. So, for example, there were guys last night that were flat out not good. Two of them were at forward. One of them was Hoaglander. The other one was Dries. They were bad. I think they were a combined minus seven, and they barely got any ice time. So usually when you're not getting a lot of ice time and you're on the ice for a lot of goals, I'm going to go out on a limb and say your coach probably isn't all that happy with you. Boudreaux played JT Miller 25 minutes last night. He says he doesn't remember playing a forward that much in a non-OT slash playoff game ever. Like, think about that. Boudreaux's coached like a million games in the NHL. And he's finally gotten to the point where for some reason or another, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, – He was desperate enough for a win that he saw a guy in JT Miller who was going last night that he played the wheels off him. He also played the wheels off Horvat. Horvat was at almost 23 minutes. Yeah, he played that line a lot, though, because I think he couldn't play the the Dries, Hoaglander, Besser line. Exactly. Like, they were a complete non-factor. Yeah. And he recognized that in-game. But, I mean, that, that is a hilarious total, Jason, for a team... At the end of an Eastern road swing, that's that desperate to get a win, 
that you're playing the wheels off them. I also noticed that the deployments of the guys at the end of the game, when they were trying to hold on to a lead, which, as you pointed out, got whittled down from a three-goal lead to a one-goal lead. Mm -hmm. Like, there was a certain desperation factor there where it didn't matter who or how it was going to get done. They were going to get out of there with some kind of victory, and they did, to their credit. But it does speak to the team that that's the level. What are we, game 17 of the season? I mean, that's not a sustainable model either. I don't think you can play JT Miller 25 minutes a night. Prove me wrong, children. Prove me wrong. And also, let's say this was a a good team. Yeah, right. Not a team that had lost five in a row. No, 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 no. no. Let's say the Canucks were a good team. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Just bear with me here. I will bear. I'm struggling a little bit this morning. My Even reading those texts was a bit of a struggle. But let's say the Canucks were a good team, and they had a 5-2 lead on Buffalo, and they barely hung on to win at 5-4. Do you think their head coach after after the game is offering glowing reviews of their performance? No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I think that there's two things that were going on here. One, um, <laughs> it wasn't a great performance, and I think the fact that he said so speaks to where this team is at in their evolution. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a great performance, but he applauded them for it. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is like, really? You sure about that? <laughs> but the other thing is, is the, the thing that's hanging over all of this is, is Boudreaux going to be the coach of this team? I mean, isn't that not the big the, the big thing right now? Like, no one has any idea when we everyone else wakes up. We've been awake for a while. Is he going to be the coach today? Will he be the coach on Friday when they play? Is Los, An- Los Angeles on Friday, correct? Yeah. The Canucks have two days off before hosting the Kings on Friday and then another two days before Vegas visits for a game on Monday so they don't play at all on the weekend. So if they're going to make a change, if, now would probably be the time. I mean, if they're going to make the time, yeah, if they're like going to make the change, it makes sense. Yeah. Now would probably be the time if there remains, and you mentioned this yesterday and people kind of scoffed, if there remains any hope within the organization of turning this season around. Mm-hmm. Now's, now's I mean, kind of the time. We're, we're at the point now where people have openly wondered if the organization does not really want to turn things around because they're looking at this draft and going, Still think. Yeah. Still think. Yeah. <laughs> right? A dog knows. Yeah. Daniel I got Plan. the inside source. Uh, I, you know, and there was another interesting thing with the, the this was courtesy of J Pat. He threw that out there. But um, Oliver Ekman Larson's ice time was way down, which you would kind of expect because he's, it's been a bit of a struggle bust for him. Didn't play in the final three and a half minutes. Quinn Hughes didn't play in the final three minutes either. Like to, to try and hang on tooth and nail to that lead. Boudreaux didn't Boudreaux's I don't know whether it was a gut or whether they've been someone's been feeding him this information like you're playing the wrong guys at the wrong times try this and so it was Shen and Ethan Bear and Kyle Burrows and Myers to close it out mm-hmm. right and it worked it wasn't an oil painting but they got they, they scratched out a win in Buffalo at the end of the road swing so I you know I, I feel like my takeaway from it all was that it was a coach that knew they really really needed a win and I do want to play some uh, audio from the post game, because IMAC actually asked Boudreaux how important the win was. And IMAC said he just did it rather earnestly, like he was just talking about in the context of the season. But Bruce kind of alluded to the fact that this might have kept him alive for a few more days in the answer. So we'll play the entire exchange right now. This is Ian McIntyre talking to Bruce Boudreaux following Vancouver's 5 4 win over Buffalo last night. I feel like this was one yeah, absolutely had to have. <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah, for a couple reasons. So, um, but I mean, one, I mean, I meant the team. But okay. I know, I know what you meant, and, and but I mean, and I mean the team too. I mean, uh, 
you just don't want to go home on a losing note with the schedule that is up ahead of us and hopefully this gives us a little bit of confidence to play against LA next and then and then the the gauntlet that we're going to be running after them. So the Canucks are only three points out of a playoff spot. They got 13 points. Yes. Calgary's got the second wild card spot uh, with 16 points. There are a lot of teams in this Western Conference that have a negative goal differential. In fact, only six of them have a positive goal differential. Mm-hmm. So, listen, I, I, you've heard our show. You, you don't possibly think that we're advocating to. You know, like you hang in there. You might make the playoffs, double down. Right? Like go double make it down. Together. You know, keep going. Maybe add someone. Uh, we don't think that, but we also know how this organization has operated over the last few years. And typically, if there's any semblance of hope, they're leaning into that hope, right? Um, the funny thing about this team right now is, and I tweeted this out last night. They are scoring at a higher rate than they did in 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. when they won the President's Trophy. Now, so they're going to the Cup Finals, is what you're advocating? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're scoring at a higher rate, so they might even win it win this it. time. Yeah. yeah, they'll have the goals okay. that they needed in Game Seven. So before think about uh, it, you act like I have no idea what I'm talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. I will concede that scoring is up around the league, right? Yep, obviously. Yes, it is. Right, and I will also concede that. That this current Canucks team is actually not as good as that 2010-11 team because it's a tough concession, my friend. They are allowing almost twice as many goals per that's, game. That's a problem as that 2011 team. But I just want to point out some of the individual stats for the Canucks because even allowing that there is more goal scoring than there was uh, a decade ago in the NHL. This is still impressive. Horvat has 14 goals in 17 games. 14. The NHL goal leaderboard right now is number one, Connor McDavid, and number two, Bo Horvat. Yeah. Yep. Like, look out Gretzky's 92 goals. He's in trouble. Horvat's coming. He's on pace for 68 goals right now. Petey, who I think has been the Canucks' best player, uh, offensively and defensively, has 20 points in 17 games. Miller... For all the criticism this guy has taken, and rightly so defensively, like he, the coach cannot have him out there playing center anymore. No. Nope. To the point that Sheldon Dries has to be out there playing center. That didn't go well either. Miller still has 10 goals in 17 games. Hughes, another guy that's drawn some criticism, and rightly so, for his defensive play this season and his puck management, has 14 assists in 13 games. Remember, he missed a few with injuries. So... You got Horvat, who's nearly a goal a game. Petey, who's more than a point a game. Hughes, who's more than a point a game. Miller, 10 goals in 17 games, so he's on pace for, I don't know, over 40 goals. The Canucks, as a team, they're a top 10 offense in the NHL. Again, it's a faulty comparison given the increase in scoring league-wide, but the Canucks are cons- are scoring at a higher rate than they did in 2010-11 yeah. when you know they were like, wow, this Canucks team sure can pile up the goals and the power play is incredible. The power play now is better than it was back then. Yeah, the power play right now is clicking on all cylinders. The problem is defending. If they don't have great goaltending, they're going to give up a lot of goals. Uh, that's a personnel issue that Thatcher Demko... I think we can 
can can safely conclude now that Thatcher Demko covered up a lot of the issues last season, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is because some of their highest paid guys are not great defenders. Uh, Miller, Besser, Horvat, Myers, OEL, Hughes. These guys get a ton of ice time. They get paid a lot of money, and some of their defensive habits and or abilities just aren't at a high level, which brings us to the question of Bruce Boudreaux. Could a coaching change help in that regard? That is the question that management has to be considering right now, and based on some of their comments, you have to assume they think that coaching is part of the problem when yes. you continually bring up structure and systems and the defenseman not knowing where to, you know, not having any outlets to to break out the puck and not knowing where to go. You have to assume that they at least think that that's part of the problem. So if they do and if they think this season can be salvaged with a coaching change, are we going to see it in the next few days? That's why I brought it up yesterday, and that's why the, that's why they scoffed at me. They laughed at me on air, but I was brave enough to take the chance that this management group would look at this team and say, "Yeah, this is being capable of being turned around." And a lot of people said, "Like how? How can you even say that, Halford? How? What would they see? What would they look at?" You just said it. How many guys are having unbelievable offensive campaigns right now? Yes, in a league where scoring has gone up. How do you I mean Horvat, which is almost a separate conversation because of the contractual issue? Horvat's the second-leading goal scorer in the NHL. Collectively, this team is ninth in the NHL in goals for, and you look at the teams above them, barely above them, it's like Colorado, Pittsburgh, Vegas. Uh, they're fifth in the NHL on the power play. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's an elite power play right now. Yeah, they're 33rd in penalty killing, which is crazy because there's only 32 teams. Right, there's two AHL that's how, teams. That seems bad. <laughs> they're somehow bad. 33rd in a 32-team league. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. They, found, they found a way. But like when I say this out loud, I think some people either think, one, I'm stumping for uh, this decision-making process, or two, I'm on board with it. I'm not. I just have a God-given ability to take it out of my shoes and put myself in someone else's shoes. And I can see exactly what they would think if they thought. Well, we don't know that they're thinking that, though. I know. For sure. But that's what I'm saying. I could see what they were thinking if the answer was, yes, we believe in this group enough Mm -hmm. that we're going to make a coaching change. I would disagree with it. If I was in the room, I'd be like, I have some questions. (laughs) I'd I'd like to push back against that. But I'm not in that room. And a lot of the listeners and a lot of the media pundits aren't. Mm-hmm. It's a small, like, high, what's it called? A, a mind hive? A hive mind? Hive mind? Hive mind where, you call it a mind hive. Whatever. That sounds cool, too. Yeah, but where it's it's five or six people, mm-hmm. right? And believe it or not, sometimes you can convince one or two of those people in the room to think the way you are, right? I mean, you got to come to one decision or another eventually. Now, But it's safe to say that over the last few years, this organization, and granted, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvian haven't, always been leading the hockey ops, but this organization as a whole, when there has been any reason for hope, they have leaned into that. Yeah. Right? I've, like that the was bubble. one of the things I'd the keep bubble, putting my hand up with. You lean into that. The Boudreaux bump, you lean into that. Yes. yes. And a lot of the other stuff was kind of like, well, we had a lot of injuries. And now the question <laughs> is, will they lean into Bo Horvat, 68 goal scorer? <laughs> They leaned into JT Miller, 99-pointer. See? So that's out there. That's all I'm saying. It's like, read the tea leaves. Go back through history and see what's happened and see if it's a predictor for the future. It's the only way you can really look at it. You can, like, 
spout off wild theories, and I, that's fun too. Don't get me wrong. They probably think Bo Horvat is having success because of his commercial with Connor McDavid. So at this point, they're trying to line up commercials yeah. Yeah. with the NHL's best defensemen, mm-hmm. try and get you know guys like Tyler Myers in those commercials. Maybe they pick up a trick or two. See, my and go my, on a ca- tear. my counter, they think this. my counter argument to all of this <laughs> would even be... such a good addition to the show. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I would bring that point up though. Oddball like, theories, left, right, and center. Guys, do not be swayed by the commercials. We have to stick. <laughs> <laughs> to the plan. Uh, another one would be, well, if you guys are going to put any stock into this offensive quote-unquote explosion, maybe you need to consider that part of the reason guys are able to produce at this level is because uh, Bruce Boudreaux is their head coach. Like, if, this, if there's anything carryover from last year to this year, and if there's any carryover from the Boudreaux bump that still exists, it's that the offensive players that flourished under him last year are now flourishing under him again. And yeah, it could be because they don't play with any structure. Because they're running and gunning yeah. with a three-goal lead. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like that's all I can... They, they that's never all have players can, in their own zone. It's just it the goalie back It was crazy, back man. I'm like, here comes Hughes. He's in deep. What? <laughs> yeah. but that, but Martin's that's, like, uh, guys, guys. But that's the thing. Like, everyone's like, oh, last year wasn't sustainable. Well, I'll tell you one thing that's sustainable. Scoring a ton of goals. Well, okay, if Boudreaux is offensive dynamo, couldn't we just get him an assistant coach that's strictly talks defense it doesn't work fixes like the defense yeah, it works like this that. is a uh, this is a mentality is it, this is it like an, an angel and a devil on the Canucks yeah, shoulders exactly. <laughs> no the, look when you're talking about keep like, pushing no maybe get back <laughs> but that's the thing that's the mentality <laughs> go deep use no you should probably stay behind like Boudreaux's <laughs> Boudreaux's not really there to drop stuff on the whiteboard he's there to tell them like how to play right yeah. and, so anyway when you're talking about Hughes going in deep on a bit of a reckless play when it's what was the score at the time five 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 four three, five four five three that is the mentality of a team that's like, don't stop, don't stop stopping. Like that kind of thing. Like, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep Never going. Stop, right? stopping. Never, Never stop, stop stopping. Never stop, don't stopping. Just keep going and going and going. And that's, again, a lot of teams will say, in theory, well, the best defense is a good offense. And if we stay aggressive, we won't let them get the puck. But the reality is, and you pointed this out a million times, you need, and this is, I think, what Rutherford's getting at, you need certain parts of your game, certain structures of your game, where when you need to buckle down, and lock down and keep a one goal lead late. You know the exact kind of things you're going to do. You know where you need to be on the ice. You know what chances to take. I think more specifically, you know what not to do. There are certain tenets that you're not supposed to break. And it kind of seem like they break them all the time. I mean, look at the, sc- the scores this year if you go through their schedule. Th- it's almost comical. Mm-hmm. They look like lacrosse scores half the time. It's, a, it's really high scoring. David Amber. Is going to join the Halford and Bruff show next on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. What can the Devils do to gain a little bit more consistency throughout those full 60 minutes? I mean, we're on a nine game heater. I'd say we're doing okay. Ten game heater now, Jack. Ten game heater. That was Quinn Hughes' brother, Jack Hughes, yesterday. Which was, that was a pretty good reply to what I thought was a bizarre question. He thought about it for a second before he said it. Yeah, he was like, wait a minute, we've won, and then he counted on his fingers, nine consecutive games. The Devils have now won ten consecutive games. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. A lot of action last night in the National Hockey League. A uh, lot of action tonight. It's not a robust schedule, but there are a couple of Canadian teams in action. Get a playoff rematch from last year between the Oilers and the Kings. Uh, let's talk about it all now with our next guest, NHL Sportsnet host, David Amber, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? 
Good guys, how are you doing? We're all right. The uh, the Canucks got a win last night, so it was a uh, it was a brief respite from you know all the angst and animosity of the weekend. They bookended that trip with wins, so we all kind of are in wait and see mode. I know you guys back east got to see the traveling road show that is the Vancouver Canucks swing through, and to be honest, not a lot of us were sure that Bruce Boudreaux was going to be the head coach of this team when they came back from Buffalo, but for now. We know that he is, and it wasn't an oil painting last night, but the Canucks did get a win. And as far as we know, Bruce Boudreaux is still the head coach. He is still the head coach, and if Canucks fans want to be excited or cheer for anything, they're not the Buffalo Sabres, right? <laughs> like, oh, my God, I feel yeah. so bad for the Sabres, right? Like, 11 years without a playoff appearance, which is not easy to do in a league where half the teams or more have gotten into the playoffs the last decade. And... uh you know, they're on a six-game losing streak right now, and my goodness, if there was ever sort of a wounded animal coming into your barn that you could you could maybe take care of, it was the Vancouver Canucks on a three-game losing streak, and you know the whole situation in Vancouver. And, you know, Vancouver comes out and takes control of the game, and this was a lead that they didn't blow. So, uh, yeah, I feel bad for Sabres fans. And as far as the Canucks go, I was on Hockey Central last night with Mike Fuda and, and Luke Gadzik, and they both sort of – you know, Luke spoke to this situation as a player and what it's like to sit there and you're waiting for something to happen, a trade, an executive move, whatever the case may be. And he said it was very unsettling when he played for the Oilers and they went through four coaches in the three years he was there. Um, but it's, it's a massive distraction. So I would say kudos to Vancouver for sort of, you know, getting past all that white noise and getting past all that drama that, that continues to flare up with, with this horrible start to their season and, and at least go out there and take care of business last night. Did Luke expand on that at all? I, I'm sorry, I didn't see that that part of the broadcast, but I, I'm just wondering what specifically, like I, I'm not denying that it, it would be an issue when you don't know if your coach is going to be employed, but I'm just wondering, you know, kind of the details of that. Like, do you stop listening to the coach is, is is that what it is that doesn't seem right to me but I, I can understand it or is it just a sense of waiting for the shoe to drop it's the waiting it's like okay well what's going to happen here and how is that going to impact me right like for Luke Gadzik who was obviously you know he wasn't a, a top six forward he was there to, to protect a lot of the players he did a great job at that he was probably wondering, you know, if you bring in a different coach with a different philosophical approach, what does that mean? Am I going right. to the AHL? Am I getting moved? But he just said it was an overall distraction. He said, Peter Shirelli, who was the GM at the time, he says, you wouldn't see him for like a month or two. Then suddenly you'd see him sort of in, in successive days and you'd be like, okay, something's about to happen. Like he's around the team a lot. And, you know, maybe there's that feeling that nothing was going to happen on the road. But when you get back to Vancouver, you know, aside from Gerard Gallant, who obviously had to take the, the Uber to the airport when he was summarily dismissed on the road, you know, mm-hmm. quite notoriously by Florida a few years back, you know, often teams do wait to, to dust the settle on the road, you get back home, and then you take care of whatever business you're going to take care of. You know, the point that Luke and Mike made, I was with them the, the previous Tuesday, and this was right on the heels of all those news conferences and the after hours with Jim Rutherford and everything, is, you know, the way Luke you know, sort of put it like, why don't we just put this guy out of his misery? If you, if he is not your coach, and by all means, it it, it all signs indicate that there is it, there's a, it's a fractured front office, and you know Bruce Boudreau was hired essentially before the management team was hired. So if that's the case, then you know instead of all this through the media stuff, why don't you just 
put an end to it. So we very well could see, you know, if, if there is a move in place that this happens sooner than later. And I'm not hoping for that or suggesting that with any smile on my face, because I think it's, it's horrible when people lose their jobs. It's such a tough industry and there's so few seats at the table. But maybe, you know, this was all going to happen at the end of a five-game road trip, come back, you're home for a week, and then, you know, maybe this is when the dust will settle. I guess we'll find out in the next 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, it's an interesting point that, that Luke brought up when, when you're talking about you bring it home to you know your job and your security with the team. And Yannick Hansen was on this station uh, yesterday and he was talking about, it was a little bit of a different situation, but he was talking about when there is a discussion about what to do with the team. Do you retool on the fly? Do you rebuild? Do you just keep going with whatever you're doing? And he was saying like, well, when I was with the Canucks and I heard that we were retooling on the fly, that was good for me because I knew that I probably wouldn't be shipped out. But if there's a big rebuild, then wait a minute, you know, I'm, let's see, how old, how old am I at this point? You know, how many more years do I have in the NHL? You're, you're starting to think, okay, well, maybe I won't be part of this and maybe I'm going to have to move. I imagine that the Canucks are also thinking about which direction this team is is going and am I going to be on this team uh, next season? And I imagine that only adds to the uh, to the confusion in all this and maybe some of the distraction. What do you think just about the overall direction of this team and how maybe the coaching decision plays into that? Well, 100%, right? Like 100% they're trying to figure out what they have, what they need. You know, it's been so well documented, the, the, the thin blue line, uh, that they have and, and how you need to address that. And yes, they have a lot of great pieces up front, but which ones do you want to run with? Which ones do you need to move? Can they afford to re-sign their captain and leader in Bo Horvat? Like there's so many questions there. And you're going to make up your team. You know, often you want to have a team that has the identity of their head coach, right? Like Philadelphia is a great example right now. Like people kept saying, you know, the team was just underachieving and playing lethargic, playing uninspired hockey. You bring in John Tortorella and listen, he brought him to Vancouver. It didn't work. It was a, a different time, a different group of players, et cetera. But you bring him to Philadelphia and by all accounts, he's getting the most out of that group right now. And it's taking on his identity, right? They're blocking shots. They're doing all these things that it's John Tortorella hockey. So the Canucks are going to have to decide, you know what kind of team we have and what kind of identity do we want this team to have and if you listen to Jim Rutherford where he talks about the lack of structure and and you know he sort of implies they need a more structured setup well maybe that's going to be the identity of the ultimately the coach who they bring in there someone who's more of a structure guy more of an X's and O's guy and maybe less of an emotional leader that Bruce Boudreaux seems to get a lot out of his players by pulling the right strings when, when he was hired we all remember Bruce Boudreaux basically said to Brock Besser who was in a hor- horrible slump and said to Pedersen who was in a horrible slump you guys are scorers go out there and shoot and within minutes Pedersen and Besser turned their personal seasons around and started shooting the puck more and feeling more confident doing the things that they're good at so Bruce Boudreaux has an uncanny knack of getting the most out of his players but maybe they're, they're thinking we need a team that's going to be based on structure uh, and, and based on execution of plays and, you know, there was a lack of execution on certain plays last night, and we saw that at times, right? So, you know, this is a, that's a really great question, but to me, they want a head coach who's going to basically exemplify what the identity of the Canucks is going to be moving forward. 
So it's the Senators and the Sabres tonight, and that's interesting because it's the two teams that Vancouver beat on this much maligned mm-hmm. road trip. And oddly enough, the Senators had lost five in a row before the Canucks beat them, and the Sabres had lost five in a row before the Canucks beat them. Uh, We've talked a lot about the Sabres over the last few days, so let's talk about these Senators now. There was so much optimism in the offseason, and while there are still people going, "Mm, I don't know if this is a complete team, surely a record of 5-9-1 and is not what was uh, expected from this team. No, I mean, it's been a massive disappointment, and... Five nine and one, I believe you just said, disguises the fact that they started the season four and two. So it's been incredibly tough sledding for them the last three weeks. You know, it's funny if you want to draw any similarities between Vancouver and Ottawa, they both have a, an incredible, uh, you know, fun, exciting, talented nucleus up front. Uh, we know what they have in Vancouver, and then you look at the, the you know, Stutzlas and Kachuk and Norris and Batherson etc up front for Ottawa but just like Vancouver the questions are on the blue line and yes you have Thomas Shabbat who's right now out with a concussion but you're you know two nights ago they played Jake Sanderson I believe a 19 maybe 20 year old 25 minutes so you know what are they doing you know on that blue line and do they need to move a forward to you know, make that blue line a little bit stronger and deeper. And that's a big question right now. It's been, it's been a disappointing run for Ottawa. And there's been questions about DJ Smith, just like there's been questions about Bruce Boudreau. But unlike, um, you know, Jim Rutherford and, and the management who don't seem to be aligned with Bruce Boudreau, uh, at least on the surface, Pierre Dorian was just asked about this yesterday at the GM meetings. And he said, no, there's no question with our with our uh, coaching staff, DJ Smith's our guy. So gave him the vote of confidence for whatever that's worth. Um, but it's been a disappointing season for Ottawa. This was the year that, you know, Pierre Dorian sort of announced our rebuild is done. We are ready to, to make some noise in a very tough Atlantic division. It got to Debrinket, uh, makes a big, you know, he traded three top picks essentially to get to uh, Debrinket, a first, second, and a third. It gets Claude Giroux off the free agent market, who's been sensational. I believe he has a 10-game point streak. Signed big deals to Stutzla, $66 million, Norris, $63 million. I mean, he did everything that a, a GM should do when they feel confident about the pieces they have there. He's built this foundation, and it just the results haven't been there. So it, it's been a disappointing season for Ottawa, to say the least. And once again, they're toiling near the bottom of the NHL. What percentage of teams would you say is looking for help on the blue line? Because I know the Canucks... <laughs> are looking for help on the blue line. The Senators are probably looking for help on the blue line, and I know the Toronto Maple Leafs need some help on the blue line. Yeah, probably 100%. I mean, Honestly, you, where are all the defensemen? Come on. Yeah. It's funny, though. If you talk to people, as you guys do, you know, so many of them believe the foundation of winning a championship is obviously in net and then the strength of the blue line. A lot of people say, you know, give me two strong centers, give me two, you know, incredible defensemen and give me a solid goaltender and, and the rest we can figure out. And, um, yeah, you, you don't have to look much further. I mean, who won the championship last year? You know, Kale McCarr, Taves, uh, Josh Manson. The year before, you had Hedman and Sergachev and McDonough, et cetera. Like, you have these great foundational pieces there. Great defensemen are hard to find, and there also takes time to develop them. And I think Jake Sanderson's going to be a real stud for Ottawa, but I don't like the fact he's playing 25 minutes right now. I, I think that could regress his his ability to, to mature as a player. And 
We saw that with Darlene in Buffalo, too. He was being overplayed. He's being used in difficult situations. And now he has Owen Power to run sort of with him. So I think that's going to really help. I think Buffalo's going to be a very good team in a couple of years. Um, but, yeah, it's hard. The name that keeps coming up for everyone, guys, is Jacob Chikrin. Yeah. But according to the insiders, and that's who I listen to, uh, you know, the Elliott Friedmans of the world, you know, some teams are hot on Jacob Chikrin. Some teams are less hot. The fact that he's coming back from an injury doesn't help probably his, his value to certain teams. So there's just there's not a lot of available A-list blue liners. That could change in the next few weeks, right, when the errors, you know, when the uh, Anaheims of the world and so other, other teams start dropping out and sort of saying, okay, we're ready to move some players. You know, one guy to keep an eye on, obviously, is John Klinberg. You know, there's a guy who was signed for one year for Anaheim. Anaheim is currently sitting, I believe, last in the NHL. And, you know, that's probably a guy that they're going to try and move for some pieces. So depending on where you're at, um, a guy like John Klimberg could be very highly sought after, just like Hampus uh, Lindholm, uh, you know, was, was sought after last year by the Boston Bruins, right? Like that was a guy they earmarked and wanted to have and needed to have. And, and Lindholm, they signed to a long-term deal and, and look what's going on with the Bruins right now. So there, there's every team wants a D man and there's few out there, which makes the value of them so incredible. The one name that hasn't come up yet that to me is the most intriguing, even just because I can't see it happening, but I also can uh, Eric Carlson. So I don't know if everyone saw this, mm-hmm. but earlier this week, general manager, Mike Greer said, yeah, we'd be willing to look at any trade partner that would want to acquire Carlson. The ticket is so huge and almost yeah. like a lot of teams just couldn't stomach another four. So this year, plus four more at 11 and a half million, but he's not just having like a Renaissance season. The numbers are off the charts, right? So we number one in the NHL and defenseman goals with 10, he's eighth in scoring among all position players mm-hmm. with 22 points. Like he is racking it up and, I'll admittedly, I don't watch a ton of San Jose games, so I don't know if this is a product of a team that doesn't really have high expectations, so you can just kind of go out and do whatever. But those are really big numbers. And on, in a thin defenseman market, I just wonder if some team might talk itself into saying, you know what, let's take the risk, let's take the gamble with the contract and bring him aboard. That's it's so funny. We talked off air about Carlson. And first of all, he looks like the Norris winning Carlson. I, I, the highlights, the he, looks, oh. he looks like old Carlson. It's the skating. Like, he can skate again. All those injuries that took so much out of him, you know, he, he missed so much time, and there were serious injuries to his ankles and feet and everything else. He, he looks like the old Eric Carlson, the way he's flying up and down the, the ice. So, yeah, that's a massive ticket. Mike Greer would have to get very creative. I don't think any contending team can take on $11.5 million or would want to, for that matter, in a 30-something-year-old defenseman. Um, however... You know, if Greer eats some of that salary, uh, by all means, right? By all means, there could be a match there because he changes uh, he changes the complexion of your team if he keeps playing like this, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a guy who's a legitimate force, can be on special teams. He can he can just do so much if he's that Eric Carlson that we've seen so far this year. That, that's interesting, guys. It's just that price tag, as you said, highest paid defenseman in the league. I think he's the third or fourth biggest contract period in the NHL. And, um, and, and with his, you know, he's missed a lot, a lot, of, you know, in the last four years, he's missed on average 20 games per year. So it's just, there is a bit of an injury risk there, but man, that's going to be interesting to see if some team can say we're going for it. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to add a two-time Norris winner to our blue line. That, that would be sensational theater. 
What about a return for Carlson to Ottawa? Because I, you know, I, stay, I stayed up late last <laughs> night. This may have been alcohol fueled, but my theory was. <laughs> There's the Ottawa. You, know you got a morning show, right? The Art- there's the, there's what were the, you drinking? Yeah. There's the Ottawa story, which is we need a defenseman. Uh-huh. And then there's the San Jose story, which is where we might be uh, willing to shop a defenseman. And then I thought, wait a minute. Carlson oh used to play in Ottawa. There's my theory that Carlson's going to get traded back to Ottawa. That would be the storyline. I mean, that would be that would keep us in the media very happy for a long time. You know, here's what I would say about that. And I'm just speculating here. You know, they've made it clear, um, the, the Melnick family, the daughters. Bottom line, as thin as possible and make it as, as you know, there's two schools of thought here, right? Like you're trying to make your bottom line as, as thin as possible to have the, the greatest purchase price possible. And of course, you also want to have a successful team. Uh, you know, potential owners would love to buy a team that's successful. And if Eric Carlson can suddenly turn you into a playoff team, then there's value in that. You know, they, they've dug themselves a bit of a hole. They're sitting right near the bottom of the Eastern Conference. You know, I'm not saying they're, they're abandoning this year, but I'm not sure if, if it's putting a Band-Aid on a grenade wound, you know, bringing Carlson in. Like, is that, is that one guy going to be able to turn the fortunes of the Senators around and at that price tag? But it's compelling theater. Like, that, that could be the right match, especially if San Jose is going to retain a, a fair bit of, Carlson's salary that could be a very interesting match and I'd love to see those two teams connect again because they've had some some really big uh trades in the last you know few years namely that Carlson deal uh whatever it was five years ago I think at this point David try not to let Halford talk you into this sort of stuff okay this is, this I am so excited of, they won't even have to print kinda, any, all the they can wear their old Carlson jerseys kinda, in Ottawa that's kind of what he does he has these crazy theories and you know you're very polite and thank you for being polite to my uh, co-host. Uh, I want to. I want to talk about the uh, just a bit about the Oilers Kings uh, game later tonight. That was such yeah. a terrific playoff series, and uh, I don't know if I got the attention it, it deserved, but um, a lot of attention on the Battle of Alberta, which actually, at the end of the day, wasn't as compelling as that Kings Oilers mm-hmm. series. Um, how worried are the Oilers right now about Jack Campbell? Well, that's a great question. Uh, they certainly, I, I would say they haven't hit the panic button, but I would imagine that there's some legitimate concern. Um, it just, it's hard. When you have a goalie who doesn't appear to have confidence in his game, it's hard for the team in front of him to have confidence. When I talked to some of our, our analysts about his comments a couple of weeks ago when he called his own game pathetic, you know, they said they don't want to hear that. Jamal Mayer said, I want my goalie to have swagger. I want my goalie to be like almost like Binnington, where he just thinks he's this big tough guy and he's and he just walks in with the, the peacock, you know, strut. You don't want a guy walking in saying, Yeah, guys, you know, I let you down. I was pathetic and making you feel like, oh shoot, what's our trust level? So I think Jack Campbell's biggest problem is how Jack Campbell is so hard on himself. He wants to win so badly. Guys love playing for him, right? He's a great guy, you know, like an absolute gem of a guy. And I know talking to the Leaf players, they loved having him in Toronto. And I know the Oilers were very excited to have him come to Edmonton. But you got to get that mojo back. And he had that swagger, right? When he was an all-star last year, he, he came out of the gates. He was a Vesna you know, consider consideration for the first, you know, 45, 50 games of last year. And then things went south. He got banged up. He lost his confidence and it took him a while to get that back. And I think they just want to get that mojo going with him because you don't want to be in a situation where you have Stuart Skinner, who's been great, but he's just 23 years of age. 
You know, he's he's only had, I think, 20 career starts. You don't want to suddenly say, well, we got to run with this guy, right? This is a team that has Stanley Cup aspirations, and I just don't feel in their heart of hearts, you know, if it works out that way, it works out that way, but I don't think they necessarily want to have Stuart Skinner as the go-to guy who's going to have to play the bulk of the games. I think they'd much rather have an A1, a, a, a 1A, 1B situation. Um, so getting Jack Campbell, his mojo back and feeling good about himself has got to be probably the top priority for the Oilers right now. David, thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the games tonight. We'll do this again next Wednesday. Okay, keep uh, drinking and making up these great trade scenarios, okay? Not a problem. Thanks, David. <laughs> you guys. Uh, David Amber from Sportsnet NHL host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I was kind of laughing when I saw that uh, there was, it said NHL.com on the sidebar, top story. Uh, Sharks GM, colon, willing to uh, willing to listen to trades on Carlson. Yeah, my no, response was, no kidding. Really? You don't say. Like, that is a gargantuan contract. Yeah. I don't know if it's the most onerous in the NHL right now. I think that's that might still go to Bobrovsky, or he's at least in the conversation. Well, I think it might go to Ekman Larson, considering, well, how, that he, one, that considering one too. how he's playing right now. He has less term, but not much. <laughs> not much. Not enough less term. But anyway, I just I just wanted to throw that out. I, I wanted to ride a heater after picking the Commanders to beat the Eagles on Monday Night Football. I heard Bick and Sat trying to break down the um, the buyout of OEL's contract, and it's like they needed a supercomputer to do it. I was told there would be no math, but yeah. there was. And... Did you see him get walked by Tage Thompson last night? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it wasn't any different than the what's several times he's been he walked doing? this season. Yeah. Is he is his is his mobility so bad right now that? He just cannot make plays defensively. See, I, I he ref- cannot. He get any, so he's backing in. He's backing in. He's he's caught flat-footed constantly. Like you would think, a guy who that had mobility issues would be a little more careful about his positioning on the ice. Okay, um, he actually plays with a guy that I think I'm not learn from isn't the right phrasing, but uh, you know. Shen became one of the more immobile defenders in the NHL and was almost out of the NHL. Right. Plays on the same team, not the pairing. Yeah. 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 Did I say pairing? No. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm looking at it and I'm saying, is Ekman Larson going to have to have one of those like come to Jesus talks with himself where it's like, I'm going to need to really reevaluate the way I approach the game? Because I think part of it is he played a certain way and was a very good high end defenseman for a long time. It was just a long time ago. I mean, Shen kind of reinvented what he had to do and the way he had to play to stay in the game. Now, is this asking a lot of a guy? Yeah. Are all those guys willing to make that change and sacrifice? No. But you look at, I'm talking about as onerous as that contract is, there's really not a lot of good ways out of it for the player. And at a certain point, Oh, he, the, the player's fine with it. <laughs> I don't know if the player's fine with how he's playing mm. or the way that his teammates are looking at him or let's, the way that he's being deployed. Let's discuss this on the other side. We'll also go into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, and then Chris Faber's going to join us at 730. Uh, we should talk about the start that Jonathan Leckermacki's having over in Sweden because it's not good. The Canucks' only blue-chip prospect not playing well in his draft plus one year. So lots to get into on the other side of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.